0: Hello everyone and welcome to Making Remote Work. Today, I'm welcoming Nadia Vatalidis, Senior Manager, People Operations at GitLab, she's calling in from Johannesburg, Brittany Rohde, Senior Manager, Total Rewards, she's calling in from Washington, and Julia Armendariz, Director of People, Business Partners from Dallas. Welcome to the GitLab team. Thanks for joining us to Making Remote Work. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Very excited as well. This is the first Perfect. panel we have, and I'm looking forward to discussing real day to day topics, HR topics, so we can all learn from you on how, how you deal with your employees. 1,365 different, different countries, right? <laughs> Perfect. So let's, let's kick it off. What is the role? Could any of you tell me what's the role of the people function in GitLab and what do you do and how do you support your people?
1: Okay, I can take that one. So I think like most companies, the role of the people team is to, you know, create the best possible experience for all team members, right? So they are engaged and produce their best work for GitLab. And we do this by hiring, you know, the right people for the role, ensuring that they're paid competitively. Uh, with our total rewards, um, creating an environment where we live our values and create a sense of inclusion and belonging, and then provide growth and development opportunities along the way. And we do all of that remotely, which is a huge competitive advantage for us, um, since it allows people to work from just about anywhere and
0: have the flexibility they need for both their work and personal commitments. This all seems like Normal a normal people function is there anything different doing this remote versus doing this co-located? So I think GitLab has taught me
1: honestly that every function can work remotely successfully um, as long as you have the right sort of tools, company values, processes in place to support remote work. Um, I, at first, uh, you know most of my career was spent driving into an office every day, and so when I first uh, worked remotely. I wasn't sure, you know, how is that going to work from an from an HR perspective? But but again, GitLab has kind of proven to me that it can be done, and I think that um, part of that is making sure that you you know hire really talented people who want to work remotely and 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 do it well because I think that remote work isn't for everybody, you know, and that's that's okay. Some people like the separation of home and office. They like the camaraderie and the socialization of Of going into an office together. So um, I think that that's been a, a big learning point for me. I don't know, Brittany or Nadia, if you have anything to add there.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think it's important too, that, you know, just as Julie said, that somebody wants to work remotely and we have had people who have started at the company and have said, you know, I, I don't feel very engaged in this environment. And then there's other people where they're like, I can't imagine going back to an office ever. Um, you know, you'd have to pay me way more than I would ever be able to get in the market to have to actually work remo- or to not work remotely anymore. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of that dual matching between finding, as Julie said, to the right person for the job.
0: But I'm quite curious, you've all worked collocated located before and now you've moved remotely. Was it easy to embrace? How did it feel? How does it feel to work all remote versus co
1: you know, for me, I started working remotely three and a half years ago. It was a bigger adjustment than I anticipated, right? So I, I really thought I could just put my laptop anywhere in my house and and work. And some people can do that, and I and I wish I could do that. But but I I quickly learned that for me, I really needed um, a dedicated space in my house so that I could sort of mentally switch off at the end of the day and enjoy the rest of my house without feeling like I was always at work. And so um, I think if you have The ability to do that, even in a small way, that's that's helpful. Um, And then a couple other things for me, like setting work hours. I in the beginning, I found that I was just working all the time because it was really easy to do. You don't have a commute, so you just kind of roll out of bed, grab your coffee, and you can be working at seven or eight a.m. You know, and if you're not careful, you can still be working at seven or eight p.m. at night, right? So I sort of figured out that I, I had to have a routine, just as if I were driving into the office. Um, and the only other thing that I get asked about a lot is just loneliness. You know, people ask, like, you get lonely working from home, don't you? Miss being around people? And you know, for me, the answer is no because I I do have a lot of interaction with people all day long um, in my role. It's just done, you know, sort of this way through through Zoom meetings. Um, and I look for ways to sort of get involved and have that people connection, right? So for me, I am pretty active in my local like Dallas um, HR chapter organization. And so that kind of helps me balance out working from home with sort of some face-to-face social time with people in person. Yeah, what we see a
2: lot of team members do too is they actually get co-working spaces. So we sponsor that, we pay for that. And so that that allows for that um, feeling of going into an office, yet you still have the flexibility of not having to go to an office every day if you don't want to, or you're not able to because you're traveling, um, or, or something like that. And you know, the other piece is you can pick who you want to go to lunch with from perhaps your personal network as opposed to your professional network, and so you have that additional level of flexibility where you have more control over your own social and in, um, interactions and times, which can for some people can be really rewarding.
0: In the in the last past days I've been attending, um, with, uh, with another company, uh, meeting an online meeting, but they've never been used to working remote. And this was a strategy meeting and it felt quite funny. Um, like you have a uh, thousand, people uh, behind you and they all know how to work remotely. This was a team of about 30 that had no idea how to work remotely. And for the first time they had to do their strategy for the next year separately. Uh, and it, again, that you don't have the discipline, no one is turning on their camera, people are talking over each other. How do you deal with this and how did you learn how to work remotely within the HR team so you can collaborate together and deliver on on what you're promising to the organization? How does it work for you?
3: For me, it takes a bit of planning um, and and deciding upfront. So setting very clear guidelines before you go into that call is super helpful. Um, we tend to write everything down, so we come forward with an agenda, and that really helps set direction as well as time for the call. At GitLab, we don't really—we try not to go over time, so we're quite strict with our time as well. And um, I was lucky enough in the CEO Shadow Program in, in San Francisco, which I, which I was also very lucky to do with Brittany earlier this year in February, and it was it was incredible to see our E team doing their financial year planning within a matter of like very short hourly meetings daily for five days. And it was incredible to see the outcome. So I found it very efficient, but with that clear guidelines of what are we going into this meeting with? Is it documented? You know, what are the takeaways? What are we going to spend our time on? What are we not going to spend our time on in this call? And if someone goes off topic, nearly pulling them back to 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 the conversation. So I think um I think that those guidelines have been super helpful to someone like me. Um, In the beginning, when I started all remote, um, I think without these guidelines, I probably would have spoken over someone easily, or I would have interrupted someone, or I wouldn't. You know, I probably would have had a meeting for everything. So also deciding why you have meetings and why are you going to connect to talk about something. A strategy is super important, but not every, not every project, not everything you're going to be talking about needs a call or a meeting. Some of it can be done asynchronously via a conversation on Slack or a document um, or whatever system they use to to collaborate in.
0: How do you keep track of what each other is doing, especially if you have projects together? Do you do that in GitLab? Do you do that in meetings, over phone? You document it. How does it work on a a day-to-day basis?
3: We dog food a lot, and I'll let my colleagues chirp in, but we actually use our own product. And that's been game changing to me because um, now we're working in the same environment as our engineers. And being a non-engineer coming to this environment, it certainly brought me a lot closer to the engineering teams at that stage. Now that we're much larger, larger, it may, to me it makes even more sense. Um, so we collaborate a lot in GitLab. We we call it an issue. So we have, if you have a new project idea or a problem to solve, you would create an issue in the GitLab issue tracker. And you would literally collaborate on there and communicate on there. Um, and as you continue, that can change and evolve and it doesn't stay the same. So you would continue iterating on it and eventually have a finished project that you, well, you can you can you you don't have to merge a finished project. You can merge your first iteration live in our handbook. And so it's, it's a very collaborative environment doing it in that way. And um, I, I don't know what other HR teams are using any longer. And I can imagine they still use a lot of, um, whether that's docs and sheets um, or PowerPoint presentations, we use less of that, and instead, actually, dog food our own product.
0: Yeah, there's still a lot of PowerPoint and uh, Excel going around. If you can uh, imagine that, it's it it works, but yeah, it requires a different kind of uh, of interaction, definitely. And this is for the HR team, right? And I imagine at a thousand three hundred people that it is big, but not as big as your entire workforce. So what do you do remotely if someone has an emergency or if someone feels isolated, how do you handle these from, from afar?
3: Very similar than in a non-remote environment. So very clear guidelines on who to contact, where to get hold of them. Um, And so we do have that in our public handbook. This is also helpful if a significant other or a family member wants to to get hold of GitLab based on on the team member that that needs help. Um, And even for things like disaster recovery, we have very clear guidelines around that and how we reach out to individuals in each location. Being in 65 plus countries, it's hard to know about everything that happens in the world, but we certainly try. Um, And we encourage people to come forward if if a situation happens in their country that could be affecting multiple team members to let us know immediately so we can reach out. I think it's still very, very similar. Um, We also have an employee assistance program. Brittany, if you want to talk a bit about that.
2: Yeah, so our employee assistance program is global. It's through uh, Modern Health. And so it allows for coaching sessions throughout the year to be able to, you know, if you're having a hard time um, with something happening in the world or something happening in your personal life, they have dedicated coaches and resources that can help kind of walk you through that and then, you know, kind of give you some guidance on Perhaps if you know escalating that to therapy, if that would be beneficial it's it's a great first step and so we have really high utilization rates, which is really awesome and and a little bit rare for an employee assistance program and and I definitely attribute a lot of that to the fact that the program itself is global. so you're not getting a you know, centric view for somebody in APAC where they think this is not a useful tool.
0: I actually wanted to ask uh, if it is used or not, but you just told me that uh, that it is. How do you Hire remotely? And this was a question that I heard in conferences. I've heard people asking me, and I don't necessarily want to understand what the process is because I, I understand it's pretty much the same. And instead of uh, having face to face interviews, you're just running them remotely via, via Zoom. But what are the key competencies that you're looking for to make sure that the people you are hiring are able to work remotely? Would you be, be
3: okay if I screen share and show you a bit about our? competencies of GitLab. would that yep. be allowed great awesome um okay so you've disabled me <laughs> to screen i and um, so if i can't it's,
0: it that's is okay, just so. done
3: awesome thank you great so i've got the page ready and open we um we've got a list of com- competencies listed on this page and so you can see the handbook link is there if anyone wants to go and view it after um but this is really our single source of truth of competencies at GitLab. And there's been a bunch of iterations on this page already, which has been great. But these really give you a great idea of what we use. And the number one aspect, I'm going to scroll down a bit, is really around what we use. And so the first thing is values. Um, If someone does not align to our values, I think they'll find it incredibly hard to work here because we use values in everything we do. Um, We also use that in, in the way we assign bonuses, the way we do 360 feedback. Um, so during hiring, we certainly check for these. Um, a quick example in my team is every person on the interview um, panel that will be interviewing this particular individual for my team or for for a people group team that that's enemy um, would use a specific value and deep dive into that value during the conversation and highlight alignment or misalignment during the process and based on that decide if we're going to be hiring. But we've got we've gone a bit further with that now to really align to promote work competency. So. You know, how does this person align to remote work? Will they be able to be a manager of one? Can they self-enable? Can they self-learn? That's a huge part of our onboarding process. So this really connects them then to onboarding. Um, it's it's hard to handle in a remote environment. It's important to self-enable, and so these aspects and and these um, then link directly to those things. So there's a there's a few listed. Yeah, further to that, we also have functional ones. So that would link to the position directly. And that we use during hiring.
0: And it's very nice that you're actually uh, having these uh, visible. They're transparent. Every candidate can see them up front and uh, it's not hidden. They can prepare for to, to respond to your questions. Yeah. Tell me a bit what are the showstoppers? Because I imagine a lot of people know GitLab work remotely, right? And they apply because they want a remote job. So immediately they would say, yeah. Uh, I want to work remotely, I'm good at working remotely, it's I need a laptop, I can connect with people. But how do you understand and how do you screen out what makes you screen out people who don't belong? That's a great
3: question. Um, I think we we really look at if someone is not going to be able to succeed in this environment. Um, Communication is also key, both in writing, but also verbal communication someone struggles to communicate directly um, in this environment, I think they'll find it incredibly hard to be successful here. Um, So communication is key, but there's a bunch of other things. If if we see early on alignment to someone that really is going to struggle to adapt from a very corporate um, environment to a company that sometimes create new rules and create a new space to work in um, and has constantly... Challenge the status quo. So I think if someone comes with a very corporate mindset It would be difficult to adapt in our environment and we we might decline based on that and Julie, I think you've you've um, partnered with us in so many interviews. Do
1: you have anything to add? So I think that um, In addition to everything Nadia said, you know, I think some of the groups um, also actually offer like mini assessments um, for certain roles, right? So if they're coming into maybe an engineering role or a financial analyst role or something like that, we may actually have them, um, the final candidates, you know, do an actual mini project or assessment or something that can show us like, how does this person think? How do they? How would they problem solve this? How do they
0: do this remotely and virtually? Um, and that can give us a lot of insight as well. What I find difficult in recruitment and what I heard from hiring managers is that that sometimes they have difficulties in making the hiring decision and most of them are used to interviewing people face-to-face because they tend to say that they have a feeling for the person, which I think we all four agree intuition is not extremely good in, in recruitment. But how do you enable them to make these decisions remotely and trust in their decision and go ahead with it without feeling that, I haven't really met with this person. Am I okay to uh, to to hire them or not?
2: Yeah, and I think one piece of the um, feeling is actually recognizing any sort of unconscious bias that might be happening. Um, are you evaluating this candidate based on their knowledge skills and abilities and the value they're going to bring to the company and their work and productivity? or are you evaluating them based on um an example we had in one of our recent unconscious bias trainings was, would I want to have you know a drink with this person or would I want to sit at the airport with them for a few hours? And that's that doesn't create an environment of diversity and inclusion and belonging in which, you know, instead having sort of set criteria in your job family or job descriptions on what you're actually looking for in each candidate and hiring the most qualified one.
0: Yeah, for sure. Another thing that I wanted to ask is very important in recruitment is the relationship between the recruiter and the hiring manager, right? At that point they can communicate better, understand the jobs, know the recruiter can know the team that the hiring manager is part of, what they need in terms of skill, what they're missing, and then hire that the, the, those additional people to complement what's already there. How do you make the link between the recruiters and the hiring manager so you can create that connection and rebuild that relationship so recruitment quality-wise can be better? Most of
3: our recruiters spend like, on a on a recurring weekly call with their hiring managers so they do have specific divisions that they take care of so product would for instance have a very specific recruiter or the support engineering team or or engineering in general or the people group or gna would have a recruiter that's then has a as a couple of hiring managers they look after and the sourcing team as well so both right through from sourcing and recruiters would spend time with these hiring managers and and so this could be a recurring weekly meeting to make sure there's very close alignment. What I've even seen happen is some of the recruiters want to see what kind of work they actually do. So shadowing some of the team members um, participating in some of their meetings. So if they have a a weekly call, really, really getting involved. And it's not on the ground because we're not in person, but literally getting involved with the team and getting to know them super closely. Um, So I've seen a lot of that um, at GitLab. And so really building that alignment from the outset. And our people business partners have been great in ensuring alignment too. So providing feedback when they see, you know, we need to align more closely with a specific hiring manager that could be new and still getting used to our way of
0: hiring or interviewing in a remote environment. Do you get involved as HR business partners in the recruitment process or is it more recruiter and hiring manager?
1: So, um, each business partner is probably a little bit different. I know for the groups that I support, I'm pretty involved when um, they are hiring someone into a people leader role. So anyone that they're going to hire that's going to manage team members, I typically participate in those um, interviews. Um, but I think each group is is probably is probably different. And I will say, I mean we we are blessed with a very robust, um, very talented recruiting team of recruiters, sourcers, coordinators, and so, and they are aligned and dedicated to different um, divisions within the company. So, you know, I know that the hiring managers in the group I support, they see those recruiters as an extension of their own team and as a, and as a partner. Um, and they work very, very closely together, um, whether it's async or, or sync. Um, and those recruiters get to know those roles really well, what they're looking for, what works, what doesn't work. And, and so it's a really great partnership there.
0: Brittany, how about the compensation philosophy when remote? I've heard so many different things about uh, we just set uh, the pay uh, US-based and then uh, if uh, someone in India gets the same pay as the US, lucky for them, they earn more than anyone else in India. I've heard, yeah, normal bands like uh, every company uses. What's your compensation philosophy in GitLab?
2: Yeah, so we have a compensation philosophy of paying to local market. And that's been our philosophy since we created a philosophy and actually started writing things down and creating a process around that. Uh, Our goal at the end of the day is to effectively recruit and retain uh, our team members here at GitLab globally. And so to do that, we want to ensure fair compensation, not only in cash compensation, but also in their benefits and in their equity packages to make up their total rewards um, package at the end of the day. And so to do that, what we want to do is we analyze specific market details and we create a transparent calculator that outlines all of those three different parts of their total rewards package so that they can understand and see the value, not only as a potential new hire, but as a current team member as well.
0: And how do you deal with nomads, people that just want to be everywhere in the world?
2: Yeah. So we, we, there's a, um, a a bit of a crux there in that you have to pay taxes somewhere and you have to be a legal resident of a country and be paid through an entity. And so what we do is we have set guidelines on how long you can be away from a certain location, but your compensation is tied to your residency, where you pay taxes, where you perhaps rent your own property, uh, what you consider your home base. Um, and so what we do for nomads is if they're going to be traveling for more than six months, we might need to kind of look at you know, where they're living and what tax implications might be incurring based on those country specific tax regulations. And we have an awesome director of tax that helps us with that um, because it can vary country to country. So having an expert can be really beneficial to making sure we're compliant.
0: That's very good to hear, and I think it's very easy that your employees get this kind of support. Um, in most of the companies I know, they do not, so they have to make sure that they pay their taxes and deal with them on their own, which is kind of hard if you if you're decide, if you decided that you're moving everywhere.
3: Yeah, and and what
2: we advise on is you know tax is very personal. We can't be a tax advisor for each person individually, but we can let them know what the from the company stance on what the risk is and what we're able to offer. And so if somebody is going to be moving to a new country for more than six months, let's say they're planning on living there for a year. To us, that would actually be a relocation because we're going to need to change your contracting entity, perhaps offer a new package so that we as a company are compliant, but you as a team member also um, are making sure that you're compliant in your own tax regulations. We can't offer that personal tax advice, um, as you know, since we that becomes a little bit murky, but from a company side, we make sure that we are compliant as a company, which hopefully helps each team member be compliant in their own personal...
0: Um, Tax implications. Another question that gets asked very much is performance and productivity when remote. How do you enable this? Yeah, productivity and performance.
1: Oh, I can take that one. Um, when when I tell people that I work for a company that has you know over twelve hundred team members, one hundred percent remote, no offices anywhere, they typically ask three things. They're like, "Is that a real company?" First of all, <laughs> how do you collaborate? and how do you know people are really working okay so to the last point about how do you know if people are really working I, I think there's a couple things to consider whether you're remote or not and so the first is you just you need to make sure you're hiring the best people that can work remotely well we've talked a lot about this already so i don't want to belabor that but you know people that are hyper focused on results problem solvers self directed self motivated you know that's that's the kind of person that you're looking to hire. And obviously when you can hire from anywhere, you've expanded, you know, your, your candidate pool. You're not limited to just the commutable radius of wherever your office is. Um, I think the second thing is, you know, making sure that you hire and train great managers who inspire their teams, who bring out the best in people and who create an environment where people are excited to come to work and want to do their, their best work every day. And, and, you know, as a manager, you're not having to micromanage them and follow up with them and check on them all the time because you hired great people to begin with. Um, and then the third thing I, I usually say is like, you got to make sure you have trust, right? And a lot of companies say that they have trust and they believe it and they think that they do, but you have to really live it, right? So just because you, you can't, you have to be able to trust that someone is working even when you can't see them working, right? And just because someone is sitting two desks away from you uh, on site in an office doesn't necessarily mean that they're producing, you know, amazing high quality results. And then the last thing I would say, and and we're really good about this at GitLab is just, you know, managing people to results and not to the hours worked, right? So having stated goals for the year, the quarter, the month, um, and measuring people to those goals. So we're, we're very transparent about our, OKRs and KPIs at GitLab. We look at them monthly, quarterly, annually, um, and and that's really how we determine our priorities and and our goals and and, and the results and, and all of those things. So those things, I think, are true whether you're remote or not.
0: I've heard leader of one, direct responsible individual. How do you promote this internally? How do you enable people to be leaders of one, to have direct responsibility, and also, how is that taught? Because I imagine you're also hiring people externally who not, didn't necessarily learn how to be how to work autonomously or uh, make decisions on their own without a boss or a hierarchy telling them what to do.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's it becomes even more interesting when you have people working all different hours. We don't have set working hours at GitLab. Everybody sets their own schedule. They work when it works for them. Um, and as Julie said, we measure based off results, not hours worked. So having the autonomy and decision-making, you, you really can't micromanage somebody that you could two seats down because you might not be working at the same time as them. For example, I have two of my direct reports in APAC. And so we maybe cross over for an hour or two a day. And so being able to have conversations with them around what the expectations are, documenting what the who the direct responsible individual is and setting those expectations up front with your team can help to ensure that everybody feels empowered, but also has the space to be innovative. And I think that's the difference on, you know, it's it's surprising, I think, to some how much somebody wants to be the directly responsible individual. So they can own a process, they can own a program, and they can make it way better than what you might have even asked for if you were telling them exactly what to do every step along the way. And I've seen that time and time again with my team where I have an idea of what I might think will be a great output for an item. They come back to me a week later with with a proposal, and it is far exceeding anything I would have expected um, because they had that space to be innovative and they were selected as that directly responsible individual. And I think the one key too is that we're a, we have a culture of feedback and collaboration and it's one of our values and that's one of the things that's really important to us. But at the end of the day, we also have to disagree and commit at times when there might be a lot of differing perspectives. So setting that directly responsible individual and who the final decision maker is going to be can also help build out that um, process of disagreeing and committing and understanding why or why not we're selecting a certain option moving forward.
0: Did you have to let uh, go of people who couldn't take on this responsibility?
2: Personally, I have not, um, but I will let Julie talk to some of the performance management side since that's um, probably a more of an HRVP item.
1: So, I mean, I, I don't think we would necessarily let someone go for that, right? Okay. But it's more like looking at the whole process of, 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 we would try to coach, we would try to help improve, you know, those kind of things, just like we would do for anybody else um, and and create a development plan, you know, things like that. We would absolutely follow our our. our performance management process, whatever the issue is, whether it's DRI or results or behavior or whatever it is, um, we would always, you know, default to, to our underperformance sort of process that we have um, where we try to document and coach. And ultimately, if something's not working out, you know, we would want to part ways and do that respectfully. And, and uh, But it should never be a surprise to the team member, right? They should have had coaching and opportunity before we ever get to that point.
0: Tell me a bit about the CEO shadow program. It is one of the programs that surprised me when I saw it in the handbook and I felt it was very valuable as well. How do you do that? Is it all remote? Is it a hybrid? Do you actually follow Sid when he interacts with customers doing that live? How does it work?
2: So it's, it was an amazing program, um, first and foremost, and we, we highly encourage everybody at GitLab to participate in, in the program. Both Nadia and I are very vocal about that. but. We had an in-person interaction because it was pre-COVID-19. So we were able to travel to San Francisco for two weeks where you have a see one and then a teach one week where there's always two shadows so that there's an easy handoff for each different week where a new person might be rotating in. Uh, And we followed Sid to everything that we were allowed to. So we listened in on all of his meetings. Um, There may be times where somebody had, you know, something personal that they wanted to talk about Sid one-on-one where it might not be appropriate for the shadows to be there. So we would, they would respectfully ask, we would respectfully drop. Um, There were, there wasn't a single external meeting that I didn't get to go to, including, um, you know, external vendors or clients or customers that we would go on site with. And if anything, they're really intrigued by the program and, and super happy to have us because this isn't something they see very often so it was a really positive experience in that way as well um, but Sid also does make it clear that if there is anybody that is uncomfortable internally or externally that we, we wouldn't he would just let us know and we wouldn't participate in that part of the program.
0: So during the program Brittany would you drop off any of your responsibilities and just be a shadow or would you have both hats would you wear both hats?
2: No, you are. It's it's like being on vacation for two weeks um, from the perspective of your day job. And so, you know, I had you know my team and my manager cover for my uh, day to day responsibilities, and then that way you're completely focused on gaining as much knowledge as you can and experience from the CEO shadow program to take back to your day job and be able to you know implement some of those things. I actually wrote a blog post after the CEO shadow program on how the program itself um, allowed me to be more productive throughout, you know, the, um, shelter in place that we had here in the U S where I had my wonderful two-year-old daughter who is an office assistant, but a very, um, interesting office assistant in that she might not have been super helpful at all times, always entertaining, um, but definitely didn't help productivity. And so finding small ways to take some of those learnings and implement that into how I work during that time allowed me to stay as productive as I was pre COVID-19, but in a totally different way. And then now the shadow program post COVID-19 is completely virtual. So, um, they align, they still come into all of it's meetings, but it's all through zoom. There's nothing in person in San Francisco.
0: Who can apply for the program or are they selected? Are you selecting people based on certain criteria?
3: They're not selected, so you can self-select to apply. We do have specific criteria for that in our handbook, and currently, it's really based on if I'm. I hope I'm correct, yeah. And I need to check the handbook, but I think it's manager and up, and um, and then we have some some great inclusion um, aspects as well that we include in in the guidelines. Um, at times, if there's a last-minute opening, anyone at GitLab could apply to to attend. Um, now, during COVID nineteen, considering time zones and specific time zone, it's 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 important to be able to align to that. That could also be a criteria. But um, to go when when COVID nineteen hopefully ends in the world and we can go back to an in person CEO shadow program, then um, then there is an opportunity for everyone. Really, it all depends on the timing and if if the criteria is made.
0: When did you start this program? Is it new or was it always there?
3: Probably been at least a year. Hey, Brittany.
2: Yeah, it started in I think August of last year. Uh, and okay. you know, a, a big part of the program was also building out the program. So one thing that shadows have done every step along the way is for, we have a whole CEO shadow program page where we outline, you know, what to do in the office. Like, what are the shadows responsible for? What is Sid responsible for? Um, how do you do the handoff between different people? And just adding in more and more context so that it's really clear to somebody when you walk into the office on day one. You know what are the expectations, what are you gaining from it, but also what is what is it not? It's not a chance to sort of have your performance evaluated. Like you, you know, you're not having SIDs not looking at each person when they come in and evaluating them on their performance at GitLab. It's just there to facilitate a learning and an exercise and being able to see at a leadership level very transparently what happens within an organization on a day-to-day basis and how those calls are managed, um, how they're efficient, what types of topics do we discuss, um, so that you can kind of have a broader view of the organization instead of the specific um, role or function that you support.
0: Everything in GitLab is based on values. So how do you enable those values in the organization? How do you promote them, reward them, and make everyone live them, not just plaster them on the wall?
2: Yeah, so the one thing that we do is we don't talk about our culture very often. Um, Culture can be very ambiguous. We relate everything day to day to our values, whether that's through a discretionary bonus how did somebody align to one of our values? That's one of the criteria. Whether it's through a promotion document, which is also transparently shared with everybody once approved, where it specifically outlines how did this person contribute and demonstrate our values um, at their time at GitLab, and how do they also fulfill the new requirements and responsibilities of this role to fulfill their promotion. Uh, We talk about it in just day-to-day meetings. We might discuss how we want to take an iterative step and what's that first iterative step so we're not taking on this huge project. So having it become part of the day-to-day conversation and not this ambiguous idea of what culture may or may not be really helps to live your values because it's something you're constantly thinking about and drawing back to in every interaction.
1: The the other thing I would say, just to add on to Brittany's comment, is that... As a people business partner, one of the things I really appreciate, the values give us a framework to give each other feedback, right? So whether it's positive or constructive, um, it's very helpful to be able to tie back to our values when we need to give someone feedback, especially when the feedback is hard. And I think that's been super helpful.
0: And how do you build? Because whenever I talk to you or to Darren or anyone in GitLab... It feels like every process you build and every workflow is based on these values. So how does it work? How do you go about when when you're building a new process or changing uh, one, how do you go about bringing it back to values and basing it on values?
3: This is a great question for HR, right? Because we have transparency as a value. So something that's quite tactical. So I'll use a very tactical and non-tactical example. But if you're going to be working on a project, imagine doing so in public. So imagine even from that very first step of writing down what you're going to be working on to doing the research um, and, and using so using iteration because you're going to keep building on that iteration. You're using transparency because it's transparent and in public. Some issues are confidential because it's people-related or it's related to a vendor or something to that effect. Or we want to improve something that's a little bit more sensitive. Um, but everything we do in, in that way would then relate back to um, to a value collaboration. So who am I including in this process? Who do I need to involve? Who do I need to check with? Is, is there a security compliance aspect? So we really use those values throughout, if you can imagine an HR project, w- whether that's a change we want to make or an ongoing an audit, um, whatever the case may be, we, we use it in, in every way and form. And then on a non-tactical um, way, if you're going into a call, um, you know, are you transparent about what you want to meet about? who are you going to be collaborating with what are you to, what are the takeaways from that call so we don't repeat the same agenda items so we can keep iterating on, on the project we're working on together um, you know is it inclusive so i think we, we use it in so many different ways but if i i hope those tactical
0: examples helped
3: you helped you see what
0: how we do it for sure and you're talking about uh, transparency and is there a, what's the value that it brings to gitlab just pure transparency
2: it, it brings such an amazing response back to feedback. I think one of the things that transparency can do that um, you might miss if you don't have things out in the open, whether that's to the broader community or to you know just your internal company itself, is you miss an opportunity to have the diversity of thought on a specific item. So if I'm you know creating a new total rewards process and also doing transparency when it seems hard is probably the exact right time that you should do it because if you're not comfortable with sharing what you're thinking or what you're doing along the way, how can somebody be comfortable at the end result with how you got there? They can just read through exactly what steps were taken, who was involved, who the stakeholders are, and have a broader understanding without ever having to ask the question. But there's been a lot of times where I've opened up a new issue on total rewards and had somebody outside of the people group give feedback from a perspective that I might not have ever considered because I, I wouldn't have thought about it from that vantage And so this amazing opportunity to have everybody contribute or anybody be able to give feedback on any project can help us to iterate a lot faster and to have a better end result when we're done with the project.
0: When we were preparing for this call to setting it up, you told me that you put a value, an actual number on remote work. Tell me how you went about it and what is that value?
2: The value is priceless. So I think one thing that we did is as part of our compensation calculator where we have our total rewards package, you have the cash compensation component, the benefits component and the equity component, as we discussed a little bit earlier. And in that benefits, there's the benefit of working remotely. And there is an opportunity cost to not commuting every day, to spending more time with your family um, to having you know, more time back to yourself if you're not spending as much time in a car, for example. And you know, I, we can't put that value to, to what that means for each person. And to some, that might be a negative value. That might not be something that adds an opportunity cost to them. So we created a tool where it's, it's not populated at all, the end result just as priceless because there isn't a dollar value on it. But somebody can you know, perhaps start adding in some of those opportunity costs to get a better idea of what it would mean for them to move to remote work. And, and how much that can save in the intangibles and the tangible costs.
0: Did anyone do it? Did anyone try to put a, to put a number to it?
2: We never tried to put a number to it. Um, you know, From the first iteration, it, it always said priceless because you know it, it is very personal. Uh, and so unfortunately, there isn't market data around the value of remote work, and that's going to vary person to person. And we want to make sure not to get too bogged down in, in, a, in a tangible number instead of having people really think about what that value would be for them.
0: You keep saying iteration, and I've learned from Darren in another discussion that perfection is not something that GitLab is looking for from the get-go. Tell me a bit about this, and how does it work, and what can others learn from you?
3: So, earlier I sh- I, I showed you that competency page, so if yes. I'm allowed, I'd love to quickly um, share screen again. Um, so, you saw the end result of what that page looked like. but. If you look at the history so i quickly opened the history of this page and this is such a great example of iteration is that during the shadow program so tying back to your question earlier um, i was lucky enough to help work on this page and create the handbook page for, for sid so if you look at what this page looked like initially it was literally just a small blurb of what we're thinking and just putting those thoughts to action nothing to do with perfection nothing about an end result or finished product or like a thought-through while research product. But we started with, with thinking around how can we use these com- um, competencies at GitLab, what should we include? And there's been there's been loads of iterations on this. So if you think about the smallest viable change you can make, that could be impactful. And And on the flip side of that, if you can think about if that smallest viable change doesn't go away or doesn't go well, how do you take it away really quickly? If you make very big changes, to roll back is really difficult. So that's that's really my takeaway from iteration is making all these small changes that all these team members have contributed to this page, the end result has just been so detailed, so thorough. There's even a great video... Um, that said is added there. there's a table. there's detailed information. And so now the thought process has literally been built out live. And um, so I think that's really the the meaning to me
0: it's I feel that this is so powerful for everyone who wants to embrace this because very often when I work with clients, I always have the feeling that you always have to deliver something perfect. And they have the feeling the same, and it just takes away a lot of load from you, a lot of um, yeah. You, you, you don't have to put in the hours and the time to get something perfect from the, from the get-go. You can work on it and, and improve it as time goes. But it feels like for GitLab, everything is possible and you are making this seem very easy. Do you think that there is something impossible to do remotely? Of course, I'm not talking about manufacturing companies where you need to be there and, and assemble a certain product. But for digital companies, knowledge workers, knowledge companies, is there something impossible to do remotely? You
3: can't have pizza around a table when you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll use that one. But um yeah, I think that's one thing I would miss if I if I had to speak up. That's one thing I would miss is having like a, a pizza Friday with with a team.
0: Julie Brittany, anything you would
2: miss? You you do miss some of the you know, water cooler talk or informal communication that happens. And we do try to encourage that with coffee chats or, you know, um, different informal means of gathering. We also, pre-COVID-19, had our um, contributes where we would all get together in person and it would be sort of a condensed version of a lot of the informal parts of what you get in an office space. But in a week-long um, offsite, where you all meet in one location globally and get to know each other on a more personal level, and really get to have that that in person interaction to help um, reaffirm your working relationship and you know what you're working towards. And it's not about actually producing results, but about you know doing a lot of strategic road mapping and um, spending that time to bond as a team. Um, we were very unfortunate to have to not have that happen this year solely because of the COVID 19 crisis, but you know, that that is the one piece of remote work that that you don't get. But I will say that over time, it is surprising how much you can gather when people have video on and you're on a call and you're able to see people's body language or physical reactions to something, even if it's just this part of, you know, the screen that you're seeing. Um, It it does give not maybe not as much as in person, but a, a pretty close amount to be able to continue to be productive and, you know, get to know your team members really well.
0: You guys have led the discussions lately on the future of, on, the, on remote work, on sharing what GitLab is doing, the handbook, advice, thoughts. How do you see the future of remote from where you stand? I mean, I,
1: you know, I know there's been a lot of remote work thought leaders that have talked about all the benefits of remote work. It's definitely, you know, a massive game changer in so many ways. I mean, for companies, for people and families, for the environment. I think for me, the biggest thing is, you know, for communities, the fact that you can bring jobs all over the world and not just to major cities where companies have their offices. I mean, so the, you know, the, the benefits are endless. And obviously, the COVID crisis has forced the issue of remote work. Um, I think my concern as someone that's become very passionate about remote work and, and really wants to do it better and do it well and, and help others uh, with that is that you know because companies were forced to go remote essentially overnight with COVID, they really weren't able to choose to choose it and plan for it and, and set up the tools and, and the processes and make sure that their company values really support remote work. Um, And so I think my fear is that some of those companies may say, you know, well, remote work doesn't work when in reality, they really just weren't able to plan and and thoughtfully create it because really what they're doing now is sort of like crisis remote working. Um, And so I would just hate to see it sort of backfire and, and, and um, because I think that, you know, post COVID there will be people that want to go back into the office, right? They they like the camaraderie, they like the socialization, they like pizza Fridays, you know? But I think there'll be a lot of people that now that they've experienced the benefits of it, they're going to want to stay remote. And so, you know, I, I think that we've talked about all the ways that remote work is, is a competitive advantage um, for companies. And I think that it works really well if you're thoughtful about it. And even at GitLab, I mean, it's the ten, we're, we're 10 years old and we're still learning and tweaking and iterating um, on, on everything that we do, including, including remote work. So, you know, we're learning as we go and we, we are happy to share those learnings with, with everyone. I know you've um, partnered with Darren Murph quite a bit and we have a remote work guide and, you know, we're pretty open about sharing all
0: of those learnings. But, and even a remote um, work certification, right? It went live today or yesterday? Something like this. Darren posted it online.
1: Yeah, it went live yesterday, I think it was.
0: Yeah. I saw it on Twitter. <laughs> so for any uh, anyone out there wanting to learn how to do remote better, definitely there is a remote work certification which is free for everyone to access on the GitLab page. Absolutely. Nadia, Brittany, Julie, thank you. Thank you very much for Absolutely. today. It's
2: a pleasure.
3: Thank you, Julia. It's great. This has you. been
0: fun. Thank you.